This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, you love that theme song, John. Skip Denenberg, local legend. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Tom Burgoyne, joined once again by my partner in crime. John Brazier. Nicely done. Thank you. Um, That's the only thing I got to do <laughs> once every two weeks is say my name. There you have it. Uh, yeah, it's, happy to be back. Um, and we got a great guest today, John. We, you know, uh, we knew him when he was here. He's, he's been everywhere, but, uh, a big announcement last week. And, uh, if people didn't hear it, maybe we can convince him to announce it again. So we can at least say that it was announced on our podcast. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> there he yeah, is. That, that sounds great. Everybody. It's Eric Kratz. Eric, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. I think I think this is. I think no. I'm gonna thank you. <laughs> you. You'll be. This will be fine because uh, you are a Philadelphian, so you'll you you get us, um, yeah. which is great. And I don't know if people know this, but uh, you grew up in Telford, right? Or uh, Telford, yeah. PA. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know yeah. you live right near the Asher's Chocolates factory and out in Satterton. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you are yeah. you are local. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. And we just said it, Eric. Uh, I know it was just last Friday that uh, you made a big announcement. Would you like to repeat that announcement here on Philly's Backstage? Yeah, I, it's, it was a huge announcement. It kind of feels like the awards at like the Oscars and the Emmys that they don't ever call the people up on the stage. That just kind of flashes across the bottom in like groups of five. But I just announced that I'm not playing anymore. That's it. Um, that's it. Ooh. There it is. Well, uh, uh, well. Let me let me for those that don't know, um, Eric, and th- this will bring you almost back through uh, memory lane. But I'm going to go through and correct me at the end if I'm wrong, if I missed anything. But it's really amazing okay. when you talk about teams that you played for. I mean, it's unbelievable. I was literally doing the list, Eric, and it. It, so you started off with Medicine Hat Blue Jays, then you went to the Auburn Double Days, then you went to the Charleston Alley Cats, yep. then you went to the New Haven Ravens, then you went to the Dunedin yep. Blue Jays, then you went to the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, then you went to the Syracuse Chiefs, you went to the Indianapolis Indians, um, then you went to the Pirates, you made your Major League debut in 2010, yep. then you went to the Lehigh, Alley, uh, Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, which is our team, um, yep. then you get called up to the Phillies, uh, you made your first opening day roster in 2013, uh, I guess that was when mm-hmm. Chooch was suspended. Uh, then you went to the yep. uh, Buffalo Bison, uh, Blue Jays, uh, Major League team, Kansas City Royals, Boston Red Sox, Seattle Mariners, back to the Lehigh Valley 2015, where I didn't know this until yesterday when I talked to our mutual friend Kevin Franson and realized you were uh, his roommate. So I got some good stuff on there, yep. 2015. <laughs> then the Phillies organization, then the Padres, then the Astros, then the Salt Lake Bees, which is the uh, Angels <laughs> AAA, then the Pirates again, and the Buffalo Bisons, and the Columbus Clippers, the New York Yankees, the scranton Wilkesbury Red Barons, the Milwaukee Brewers, um, where also you became the oldest player to make your post- postseason debut since Lave Cross did it in 1905, we all remember Lave Cross, of course, for the 1905 Philadelphia Athletics. Uh, then the Giants, San Francisco Giants, the Tampa Rays, the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Red Barons, the Yankees, and then last week you announced your retirement. That is a mouthful, right well, there. Well, good night, everybody. We, we're out of time. <laughs> Eric, thanks for joining us. <laughs> That's amazing, you took, Eric. You took us all the way through all nine innings. <laughs> did I? Did I? Did I miss anything? You did not. That was the most pristine list of teams that I've played for. The only thing that you missed in there was the, I would say, four to five times a year at the beginning of my career that I would go from Syracuse 
to New Hampshire, to Syracuse, to New Hampshire, to the Phantom DL. So that was the only part that you missed. But other than that, team-wise, perfect. So Absolutely do you, do perfect. You, do you have, like, tons of hotel points or a lot of these places? I mean, do you – if there was bus points, right, you'd be, you'd be loaded. <laughs> Frequent flyer miles. Frequent so I would fl- yeah. always – I would always scan my card when someone else was when someone else was paying for it, and they were always flying me to these places. And it just never it just never amounted to too much. Really, the only thing I ever got because I just I would fly. They would just get me whatever the quickest next available ticket was, and I'd scan my card, and they're like, "Oh, you have X amount of thousand miles," and. Basically, I would get a letter every year that would just say, well, you can get a free subscription to (laughs) Nice Magazine, where we talk about nice things. You know, it's never any of the magazines that you really wanted. But I could use my my points for that. Well, Eric, you know, when you hear that list, I mean, I mean, you have to be so proud. You know, what goes through your, your mind when you hear that and, and you make the announcement last Friday that, you know, this long career that you have uh, is over? I mean... Um, you know, when you look back at your career, how do you how do you picture it, and 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 how do you remember it? I, I think when you look at it as a whole, I think of it as incredible and what an amazing opportunity it was. And when I look at it in like a micro standpoint, it's. I just think of all the people that I met, the relationships, the stories of you know, other guys that went through similar paths for a shorter amount of time and never made the big leagues, never got to be compared to Lab Cross in 1905 playing in the playoffs. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think it's, it's something that I am – I would be an idiot to think I wasn't extremely blessed to have gotten the opportunity to play for that many teams now, in the moment, like each of those times that I got sent to Double A, sent to Triple A, you know, there was the disappointment, the excitement, the disappointment. I got released. You know, there was very, very rarely in the big leagues did I not see getting released coming. You know, I you could you could read the writing on the wall. So that was that was a little bit uh, those those were disappointing times, but nothing nothing like. You know, I never had to sit out of baseball, go to independent ball like some guys do. Some guys have to go to indie ball and grind out indie ball for two months and then find a job. You know, I never went back to double A after 2009, which was tremendous because I spent parts of six seasons in double A. And I wasn't very good in double A either. I wasn't very good very many places, but. I spent most of my time in AAA where I got to know the league, and most of the time it was on the East Coast near my family. Did you have any opportunities ever to go overseas, play in the Korean League or <clears throat> Japanese League? or? No, no, they do not like catchers. Hmm. They, they really don't, they don't take many catchers. I think it would – I tried because I thought it would be an incredible experience to, one, stay in one place for an entire year, which I didn't do for – any of my, any of my seasons in my career, and two, I think it would be an incredible opportunity for my kids to, you know, study, study in another country, live in another country. I mean, people do it all the time. It's a little bit more rare, I think, for Americans to do it, but I think it's something that would have been a great experience. You know, I wouldn't have looked to make it a career, but it just it never happened. I got to go to Japan twice, once with the MLB All Stars. I called it the MLB All Stars and Me Tour because <laughs> um, right after they got right, right after they got Robinson Cano to commit, they called me. You know, it was that it was that hierarchy. Um, but then Team USA in 2019, last year, we went over there for the Olympic qualifiers. So I did get to go over there, but just in short spurt. Well, uh, what's cool about it too, Eric, is you are a, a local guy. You know, uh, 
grew up in Telford. He went to Christopher Dock High School, uh, Eastern Mennonite University, a Division III uh, school, and he got selected in the 29th round uh, in 2002 by Toronto, the 866 pick. Now, this is what I got to ask you. The guy, your teammates on Eastern Mennonite University, were they, like, fired up that you got? Uh, because I think I read that uh, you were the first guy to get drafted from that school into the, uh, you know, the big leagues. Uh, were they fired up and, it's like, really happy for you that, you know, you, you had gotten chosen? Oh, they were so excited. I mean, we had, we had really good teams um, those four years I was there. We broke tons of school records as a team, but we had we had a group that really, essentially, we kind of recruited ourselves. Um, we would we would go back to our high schools and try to recruit players to come down to EMU, and so the team that while we we wanted to do well on the field, we stayed in contact. This whole time, I mean, twenty years later, we're still, hmm. we still have text threads going. We still have stories that we tell, and you know, some of the guys we haven't stayed in contact with, but through random, random occurrences, we'll, we'll get somebody's phone number, and then we'll start up a thread again. And it's something that's, it's so cool. The, the, that group has, we have so many memories. We now because it's my fault, but the last. Two years we haven't done it, but we have been going in to um, let's see Cape Charles down in Virginia and go golfing and kind of have a guys' weekend. It's pretty much all those guys from from those teams that that can make it down, and it's it's something that's that's really exciting. But it shows at that time in our lives we really all connected and we were all pushing towards the same goal. So yeah, they were excited for me, but. I'm just excited for as excited for them when you know I get to see their kids or or you know promotions and their jobs so it's it's something that's really cool. And someone that saw the good part and the bad part of your journey uh, or tough part I should say is your wife and family. I mean what when you went through all those different towns and different organizations what is that what kind of burden is that on your wife on your kids uh you know I'm assuming you had your kids through a lot of those years. Um what, what was that? What was that like from schooling and from you moving to different schools and finding different places to live? What was that like on your family? You guys don't have enough time on your podcast. <laughs> you got a. I mean, it, it 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 was it was definitely grueling. It was definitely a a grind. Some years worse than others, and I think sometimes that stuff mounted on top of each other. But we we're extremely blessed to in some of the hard times have some of the best, best memories. Um, I mean, you don't, you don't always get on, get on the plane at, at three in the morning to, to fly to California after winning a wild card game out in Kansas city. And four days later, your wife who was at the wild card game flew back home, flew back out to Kansas city with the kids and joined you for a month in hotels, team planes, and tiny, expensive hotels in San Francisco for all the way to the World Series. So some of that, like, like just that experience alone right. was a podcast. Um, it was just getting, getting everybody situated in that, in that situation, but also like, dealing with that like my wife had to teach you know it first grade and preschool and and not not to demean that age but you know there wasn't a whole lot of ability to teach when you're jammed in a hotel room um and you know you, you go on to the next year we tried homeschooling and my wife's a teacher so we we homeschooled and we got an apartment and I got released halfway through the year. Um, so we were, we were jammed up in an apartment and it's like, all right, well we pack up and drive home, but we can't miss too many school days. We got to get back to it and start that back up at home once we get home. And now I'm off again because I got claimed to go to the Red Sox. And from, you know, it is a, 
It's a grind. That part of it is a grind. Yeah. It definitely is a grind. But in it, there's so many incredible memories. There's so many memories that my kids are going to never forget. I mean, my daughter waited for the last day that I could play, not because, or the last day that I was going to play, not because she wanted me to be done, but she wanted a puppy. And I promised her I'd get her a puppy. And the boys, who are 11 and 13, they're they're balling when it's you know my last game you know they don't they don't want my last game right, to ever right, come they right. want to see me keep playing so nice. it's yeah. i'm getting ripped i'm getting ripped from both sides <laughs> tearing my heart out at both sides wow right. wow what what a what a baseball life well hey a big part of your <laughs> life uh eric was when you got traded here to the phillies 2011 uh you got called up called up in september mid-september and we're in the middle of a, a playoff race uh what was it like uh being with the Phillies, especially at that point. And, and then to add on to that, what was it like you're catching Cliff Lee and, and Roy Halliday yeah. and Papelbon, some of these, you know, the big names in baseball? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the first part, it was to, to sign with the Phillies. I remember that offseason. I had I had two good years in AAA with the Pirates, um, Indianapolis. And I, you know, gotten like 20 or 30 at-bats in the big leagues with the with the Pirates, and they didn't want me back. And that offseason, I got a call from the Phillies to sign as a minor league free agent, and I was ecstatic. I mean, yeah. I remember thinking, you know, my my lifelong love of a baseball team right. called right in the middle of in the middle of you know a great playoff run, great teams, and. So the day I signed and the day that they announced it was, you know, they had a little extra money left over. So they signed Cliff Lee. Um, and so we both, we both got announced on the same day. I kind of got lost in the, in the shuffle, I think. <laughs> Cliff Lee's signing and Eric Cross is signing. But hey, you know what? This is just, this is the burden of my life. Um, it, it, it was something that to be able to sign to go to the team that you grew up watching and adoring as a baseball fan, like it was incredible. And then to get called up after having a good season in triple a and not getting called up the whole year, I'll never forget having like the whole practice, everything was all normal. And I was sitting on the end of the bench and I was, I was still in the dugout. The game hadn't started yet, but they were announcing guys and they're running out onto the field. And I remember looking down at my uniform and being like, Whoa, <laughs> like what? <laughs> like, nice. I get to wear the Phillies pinstripes. Like the uniform just, it just looked, the white looked a lot brighter and the red looked right. a lot brighter. That's awesome. Like than I ever remember. And it was amazing. And we ended up clinching. We ended up clinching the uh, NL East that night, and so we got the pop bottles. Well, I kind of watched them pop bottles. I was kind of staying off to the side. Um, didn't really, didn't really put a huge, huge celebration together. I just kind of enjoyed it and watched it. I was like, "Wow, every night's like this up here." This is tremendous. <laughs> but it was it was so cool. It was so cool to be a part of that. And then what was it? Tell tell listeners out there what was it like to catch uh, Halliday? We'll just we'll we'll stay with Halliday and Lee. What were those two? What were those two pitchers like catching? Ah, uh, I mean, two completely different characters. It really, but two guys that I can say changed the way that I look at catching and preparing myself for games. Um, you start with Cliff. And, you know, they're really a, they're really a example of contrast. Cliff did not prepare to face hitters. He didn't do, he didn't do scatter reports. He didn't do anything. He said, he said, I want to know that my catcher is going to be ready and he knows what I can throw. And he said, I'm going to go with my strength. And he very rarely shook off. If he shook off, it was most likely to the curveball because he never really wanted to throw his curveball because he thought other guys would would tip it. But he would he would he would very rarely shake off. Doc was ultra prepared, ultra focused on 
his scatter report in between starts and he would lay out he would lay out this elaborate scatter report every single pitch where he can throw it or shouldn't throw it and you know situations where where we can use it and you know what we're going to go to if we're in a jam and he was ultra prepared so prepared that you would think well he's just going to kind of run the game and he never shook off Hmm. And his his preparation for me for games was it was second to none. So I knew that if I wasn't prepared, he wasn't going to be about it. And it really it really helped me. Like okay, I got to really focus when it's Doc's start. And then the one day I remember it dawned on me. I was like, wait a minute, why do I just mentally focus on Doc's start? Like everybody needs this, right? Cole needs this when I'm out there. Cliff needs this. KK needs this. You know, every every one of these guys, every guy that I caught in AAA needs this. And so it really helped me take my take my focus, my in-game focus, and my and my preparation for my in-game focus to another level. And what about um, you mentioned Cole? And, what, 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 how about Cole catching Cole? Well, and that was, and then and then there's there's the other. Another contrast. So those two guys are opposite in their preparation. And then Cole, you know, he's, he's like, uh, I, you know, I don't need to go over these guys. It's, it's something that, uh, well, what about, let's go over Justin Ruggiano just a little bit. And, well, what about Justin Bohr? Let's go, you know, and then all of a sudden we've gone over the whole lineup. In the <laughs> beginning of it, he said, we don't really need to go over this. I don't think, I don't think we need to go over it. And then by the end of the time, you know, we've gone over every every guy and a possible pinch hitter in the seventh <laughs> inning. And how so, about shaking off? Did he it, shake you off at all? No, he now he would shake me off. And he would shake me off and he would get so pissed. Oh, I loved it. Hmm. I loved it. Because that was you know, he would he would step off the his big thing, you know, the big thing that he that he taught me was the pace of of calling the pitches. You know, I, I was always taught you, you control the pace of the game behind the dish, you know, and how you call the pitches. And he wanted, he felt like some of his pitches, especially his changeup, was more effective if he got on the rubber right away. And as soon as that guy got ready to, got ready to hit, he was able to throw the pitch. And it got him kind of jumpy and they would jump at his changeup, even though it was probably the same velocity as the previous changeup, it got him to jump at it. And so when I wouldn't call it right away, ah, he wouldn't, hmm. he would give me the, <laughs> he was just, you could hear, you could hear the, the disgust from the mound and he would step off. But he, he just was, they were all ultra, ultra competitive. I mean, it was, it was something that was incredible. And, a guy like Blanton is he's lost in all that but his competitiveness was through the roof like it, it was just a it was a group of guys that really taught me at shoot at 31 32 33 years old you know there's a different level that you need to take your in-game preparation and in-game focus to and it's why they were they were elite pitchers yeah, and Eric, you also you're talking about the pitchers from the catching standpoint. You were learning from Chooch, I imagine, and also uh, you know uh, Brian Schneider was on that team too, and you know he he turned into uh, wound up getting into coaching after his playing days were done. Uh, talk about uh, Chooch and Schneider and how they helped you prepare for these games. Oh man, like Schneider was he was at the end of his career at that point and the wealth of knowledge that he had playing in the NL East was, was second to none. Like I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for somebody better. Um, unfortunate part was I kind of, he got hurt and I took his job. And so the most of the interaction that we had was while he was on the DL, um, he was active a little bit when I was active too, but it was something that he you know, he would just spend time with me during that time when he was hurt and he would, he would talk about stuff, but he was never like forceful about it. It was just like, he was always kind of waiting in the wings. And when I, 
did something did something dumb, he's like, "Hey, what about this?" You know, and he say he 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 hedged he hedged off some of my mistakes before they ever you know before they ever came came about, and it was something that I was I was really really lucky to play with that guy and we still we still keep in touch i saw him this year when when we played the mets um and chooch i mean chooch and i i I don't have i don't have enough words to to express the relationship that chooch and i have um this guy is as much as people loved him as a player as a person what kind of person he is is something that I wish I wish the fans knew because they would love him even more um, he is a generous he is a thoughtful he's caring he is an incredible incredible competitor and his his just love for his teammates is is ridiculous when we went to you know, it, it, it was written all over his face. The relationship that him and Doc had was something that was that was special to watch. And normally, when there's a catcher like that, a starting catcher and a backup comes in to fill in, and now he's catching, he's catching, you know, his guy. Like there, there's some jealousy there. There was no jealousy. There was no. Ch- Chooch was hurt when I was. For a little bit, he was he had a suspension, and then when I was a starter again, he was he was hurt, and we lived across the street from each other. He would he would bring food over. He would his his massage therapist. You know he had he had him there extra time to take care of me because he's like he he brought me into his house. And he's like you are the starter now. He said you are the starter now. You have to. You have to help these guys, and and while I'm getting my massage, he's there. You know, we're talking about the pitchers. He's like, we're talking about what what they what they like, what they do, what they don't like. You know, and just about them as people, not just as pitchers. And I mean, this guy, he was the best. He, he's one of my he's one of my favorite teammates and best friends that you know I made while I was playing in baseball. Well, let's talk about another year, uh, one of your teammates, and that's great to hear. And as just as an employee, and I'm sure Tom feels the same way, uh, Chooch was one of my favorite guys on the team. <clears throat> Always had a big smile on his face, just great attitude. Um, you yep. came back. You came back to Philadelphia, 2015. Uh, you started with the yep. Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, and again, speaking of one of your teammates, Kevin Franson, who's now the current Phillies uh, radio announcer. Uh, you roomed with him. What was? Uh, what was that like? I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, give, give me give us some dirt on Kevin. <laughs> what was that like? And then he also, when I talked to him, he said, uh, make sure you tell Kratzy about the blow-up. Make sure he talks about the blow-up he had in the dugout. I guess it was aimed at <laughs> Kevin. So uh, three-part question, I guess. <laughs> Three yeah, part. yeah. So let's just, talk about, let's just talk about Kevin because he enjoys, <laughs> he enjoys when people talk about him. So this will really – this will brighten his day if he's listened to the Burgoyne and Brazier podcast. Of course, he listens every time. Yes. He, listens, he listens for the music. I, can, <laughs> I, I know that. That's, that's up his alley. But he, uh, yeah, so we were roommates in 11 and 12, actually. And okay. We got called up. We got called up pretty close to the same time together. Um, but we were playing in Philly together, and we didn't need roommates. So good for him. He got more sleep. Uh, because I snored, and I was in a, I was an epic snore, like colossal, like ripping the wallpaper off type of <laughs> snoring. Um, and good for me because I didn't have to hear about his whining anymore. Uh, you know, why am I doing this? Ah, whatever, Kevin. But the story he wants to hear is we were in AAA and we had. We we had some guys on the team that would slam their slam their bats when they wouldn't get a hit. You know, I can't buy a hit. I hit the ball so hard. Wah wah wah! Slam your bat, all that stuff. And I and I'm I'm not a fan of it, but I understand it. Like, hey, you know what? I used to slam my bat when I was when I was a child too. Um, but. <laughs> 
moving on from that, I very rarely said anything about it, but there was there was a couple plays in the field that irritated me, and I probably blow up once or twice a season. I'll I'll just I'll blow up like something will. It's probably because I don't blow up enough, and it just all culminates into one into one big blow up. And there was a ball that fell behind between our first baseman, our right fielder, who was Dom Brown at the time, and Franny who was playing second base and it was a pop-up, you know, it fell in that, in the Bermuda triangle that's out there, that triangle of, you know, all of a sudden it's going to be a bases clearing double down the line. It just, it just falls. There's nothing, there's nothing you can really do about it, except this time all three guys went and all three guys looked at me, you, me, you, me. So fell in two runs scored. Pitcher got taken out of the game, and everybody came into the dugout after we got the next out. And we had a good team in Lehigh, um, and we were winning a lot of games. It was a really fun team to be a part of. But we came into the dugout, and everybody just started putting their equipment on like it was, hey, time to go hit. I am steaming now because they played the UME game in right field, and I had a shaker bottle full, full of water. I took a drink out of it. And I was so mad, I threw it against the wall, and it exploded. And right at that time, Franny was was walking down the dugouts, which are pretty big, so that nobody's going to get hurt, but maybe a little wet from a water bottle that explodes. And it explodes against the wall, and I, and I just scream at the top of my lungs. I'm like, oh, everybody wants to throw their bat, slam it, and say, woe is me. But when we don't make a play, I don't hear a peep. Nobody says a word. So I'm, you know, I'm real immature, yelling and everything. And Franny stops and looks at me with this, like, quizzical look on his face. And he goes, in a high-pitched voice, he goes, was it me? Are you talking to me? Because I was running hard. <laughs> oh, man. I think you got a side only, gig as only a, a roommate. voice guy. <laughs> You gotta oh, blow up yeah. every once in a while. Uh, you got. I don't see. I don't. I don't know if you have to, but I, I would. <laughs> nah, it's a long year. It wasn't right, but anyway. <laughs> uh, one of the coolest things, uh, Eric, is um, you know when you were with the Brewers and you had that great postseason, that division series where uh, uh, I think you had five hits and you had a big clinching game and I know for John me and everybody here we'd come in the next day and be like hey see Kratzy you had a big night last night you know we were really pulling for you and what I think is cool about it is I think the the rest of the country kind of got a chance to you know you know kind of hear your story which you know was a story of perseverance and hanging in there and uh, multiple teams but sticking with it um, what was that 2018 postseason like for you? Well, I appreciate you saying that. It's it's something that in the moment I didn't I didn't think of it anything other than like, you know, I had two good games back to back because I was prepared and the matchups that I ended up getting in the game were favorable and some hits fell. Um but as the post I remember I remember celebrating with my teammates after the game on the field. And I just felt like this camera guy would just not get out of my face. Like he was just always right there. But I remember celebrating, but I just, just felt like somebody was always around. And afterwards they pulled me aside and they were like, yeah, you know, we'd like to talk to you. Uh, if, if you have a few minutes, you know, we, and that was never me. That was never me. I always watched. I always watched other guys get pulled aside. I always watched other guys get get interviews. Completely fine with it. Like I'm not in here looking for any kind of adulation. It's you know that's the, that's for other people. That's that's the burden that superstars they can hold that burden. I don't I don't need that. But it was something that in that moment it really made me flash to the previous years of my career and, and the first question he asked me was, you know, what are your, what are your friends, what are your friends back in Telford, Pennsylvania thinking about you? And, and I didn't hear it as 
Telford, Pennsylvania, I just heard it as, you know, my ex teammates, my from college, from pro ball, from coaches to all the people that had a part, whether good or bad, they had a part in getting me to that, to that moment and to that whole, you know, the whole culmination of those playoffs and an opportunity like, like you guys saying, Oh, you know, he came in the next day and you talk, Hey, did you see what Kratz did? You know, and inevitably people, I hope people are like, Oh, he's such a great guy. You know, that's so happy for him. But in the back of their mind, they're probably like, he's never a very good player. How could he have a good game? <laughs> and in, but the most important thing with so many people, so many people were just, were so, so thoughtful reaching out to me in that moment that it was, it really made me feel like, and I knew it before, but just in that moment it made me feel like I had so much support through, through times that were tough. And I didn't really know I had support and, and it was something that just kind of culminated all in that, you know, two months, one month of playoff baseball that, that we got to play in. Wait, and I remember also with the Phillies, it was with the Phillies when you had hit the home run off Chapman, right? Yep. And that was, that, yep. that, that's, I, I mean, what's that like hitting a hundred mile an hour, you know, a hundred mile an hour, <laughs> nasty lefty. Jesus. It, it was something that I was glad I got to play with Chappie. Um, there was very few days that, went by where I didn't mention it to him. Um, I'm sure he got sick of it. So I had to, so I had, yeah, I don't hit many home runs. If I hit, you know, if I hit 300 home runs in my career, like Giancarlo Stanton does, you know, you forget some of them or you don't really, it's just a matter of time before you're going to hit a homer. But, you know, getting, getting too big. I had another big hit later in my career against Chappie. So being able to, being able to rub it in my teammate's face was, was always a good thing. Always a good thing. All right. Before we go to the quiz, I got one last thing because, uh, you know, Tom, I've been in baseball 27 years. Tom's been in it for about 34. Yeah, 32. Yeah. 32 years. I'm telling you, Eric, I think, I think we could tell you what your next move should be because you're a perfect manager down the road. I mean, you have all the, <laughs> first of all, catchers make great, um, great managers. Yeah, we got one, Joe and Girardi. You, and you've played so many, you have so many yep. connections. You've, you just said you've learned from some of the greatest pitchers from, from Halliday and Lee and Cole Hamels and all that. You've just all the experience you've had. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I, I hope you've thought about it because I, I hopefully in five years, we'll be interviewing you again on our <laughs> podcast and you'll be a world city series uh, winning manager uh, for a team. Cause I, I, but is that something that is, is getting back into baseball something that you want to do? Or is this something where, Hey, I've, I've been, uh, that long journey with my family, I'm going to kind of take a break and then and then possibly get back into it. I do want to get back into baseball, and I appreciate you saying that about being a manager. Um, I I know very few things for certain in baseball, but I think I agree with you um, that I think I would make a good manager also. But the the important thing right now and the reason that I'm done playing is to spend more time with my family and jumping right back into the process of making that there, um, is not conducive for me and my family time right now. You know, if it was, if it was about me still being, you know, being in uniform and who knows, maybe maybe I'll find a job where I'm going to be in uniform, um, for next year. But, if it was about me being in uniform, I would just keep playing because coaches they run a they run they run a longer schedule as as coaches and managers than you do as a player um, as far as time at the field. But it's you know you, so that's that's something that I'm kind of leaning away from this year. But obviously, there's always hey you know just just offer me the job first. And then I'll tell you no. You know, I'm not right. going to first say no before I even hear. But it's not like everybody has their managers in the big leagues. And you don't jump from being a player to a manager. And there's a lot of things, I think, on the coaching and front office side um, that I don't that I don't know about. That I don't, you know, you think you know about as a, as a player. But 
you kind of in a in a player bubble and you don't know about that stuff but right now managing's not going to happen um but i think there's something because of my unique career path that i can really help an organization get to that world series and i think it's you know in some type of personnel individual individual relationships building building that within the organization so that the organization doesn't stand on stilts it's you know you set up your organization for success by you know building strong pillars and foundations that will just continue to cycle out good player after good player after good player and it's not just because you know you have a guy that can teach a certain skill in baseball but you have players that encourage themselves and make each other better at the same time and it's something that i think that's right now that's what's intriguing to me um because i think something in that in that realm in that genre if you will will be a best for me to be able to be around my around my family my kids are growing up and i did the whole minor league lifestyle probably a couple years too long so it's time for me to be around for them uh, i'm sure well, it'll work out yeah when when the timing is right and well yeah. and and john's over here uh, with his white piece of paper so now the timing is quiz time yes for eric is that right the culmination john? of the interview eric and this is where i'm going to give you Eight questions. As I said, they're all about your life, so you should have a good chance <laughs> a good of chance. getting them all. Very few go eight for eight, <laughs> but it has happened. I think Jason Stark went eight for eight, and Ruben yeah, Amaro last Ruben week. Ruben Amaro went yeah. uh, eight for eight. eight so for eight. not to put any pressure on you, but I think you'll be do, uh, you'll do fine here. And if you if you get eight for eight, Tom, should we? I know he likes peanut butter brickle from uh, Ash's Chocolate. <laughs> there it is. I could, I could get him. <laughs> peanut butter smoothies. Oh, peanut sorry. Butter smoothies. I can get him peanut butter smoothies, right. A lifetime supply. Yes. Charlie Manuel's wife likes peanut butter brickle. <laughs> right. A lifetime, a lifetime supply. Okay. Well, he'll, he'll get a lot. All right. How about this? Ready? So eight questions, multiple choice. Are you ready? I am. I, I think I'm ready. All yeah. right. First question is, as we mentioned earlier, you went to Eastern Mennonite University, which is in Harrisonburg, Virginia, home of Ralph Sampson. I'm sure you knew that. Uh, but oh, yeah. these four, I'm going I'm to name four people, three of these celebrities, three of these celebrities uh, went to, three of these celebrities went to Eastern Mennonite. One did not. Okay. You have to name which one did okay. not. So A, <laughs> Maven Huffman, who's a professional wrestler in the WWE. B, Nipsey Russell <laughs> from Match Game 76. Uh, mm -hmm. Former Major Leaguer Larry Sheets. And Hassan Sheikh Mohammed, former president of Somalia. So was it the wrestler? Was it Nipsey Russell from Match Game? Was it Major Leaguer Larry Sheets? Or was it the former president of Somalia? Which one did not go to Eastern Mennonite? Oh, man. I feel like this is, this is who wants to be a millionaire, phone a friend kind of answer. <laughs> I'm going to say... I don't even know who was the second. What you call her? Nipsey Russell. Nipsey Russell. You are you are correct. I'm yeah, giving go, it to go you with right Nipsey there Russell. Because, that is correct. Uh, see, Eric, you're younger than uh, Tom and I, but we watched a lot of Match Game '76, which had the most random celebrities on that show. And so every every guest we have, I pull out somebody from a B list, match, a B -list yeah. celebrity, <laughs> even if they're B list. I think they're C list yes. from Match Game '76. You are one for one. All right. Uh, this one should you should, you should you should get this one. What NCAA Division three record did you break? A most doubles in a career. B most home runs in a career. C most extra base hits in a career. And D most runners thrown out at second in a career. A double. A is correct. Doubles. Uh, correct. Doubles. Nicely there you done. Go. All right. Uh, you got drafted by the Blue Jays in two thousand and two, and started your career with a Medicine Hat Blue Jays which is in Alberta, if people are medicine, geographically medicine challenged. Hat. What yes. was it? Medicine hat. Medicine hat. Medicine hat. Yeah, yeah you, yep. you're obviously not a hockey fan. There's a lot of guys ah. that come from medicine hat. Yes, it's in Alberta. Oh, yeah. Right? How about that? Uh, yep. Which player was not on that roster? Again, the medicine hat Blue Jays, 2002. Three, three were teammates. One was not. Okay? A, Bubby Buzicero. B, Jared Mangione. C, Yesan Baroa. <laughs> 
and D, Kurt Funk. Kurt Funk. Kurt Funk, who just popped into our office while we were doing our, our – I was hoping he was going to stick around a little longer. Oh. But, you know, he's one of our VPs, so it's good uh, that you got that one right. <laughs> do, do, do you remember the other three? Oh, my goodness. Yes, okay. I, I, I won't tell you. I, I 100% remember him. Yeah, I mean, when you, and you said yes in Baroa. <laughs> Was that? Did I say it wrong? No, no, you said it perfectly. Oh. It's just so funny that you brought up yes in Baroa. <laughs> there you have it. Uh, all right, three for three. All right, your fourth question, which you should get this one. Who was your first major league hit off of? Was it Jay Happ, Roy Oswald, Bud Norris, or Wandy Rodriguez? Bud Norris. Bud Norris Bud is correct. Norris, four for four. All right, when you got called up, September 2011 with a fight in Phil's. What was your batting average that year? Ooh. Your batting average was uh, you had six at bat. In 2011. In the big in the, the big in league, the big league, leagues, not had, in Triple A. Yeah, you had you had oh, six. I was, you had six at bats. So were you three thirty three? I almost won the. <laughs> no, no, I, I almost won the batting title. I was three thirty three, but Jose Reyes. He bunted on the last day, and then he took himself out, and he beat me. I think oh. he was like three thirty. 337. But, well, you get bonus yeah. points for that one, too, for, for saying 333, and I didn't even go through them all. All right, you were five for five. All right, uh, oh, your man. second stint with the Phillies in 2015, you batted 312 for Le- Lehigh Valley, and you were added to the Phillies' active roster on September 1. Who did you get a pinch hit two-run double off of in your first at bat Matt Harvey. the Phillies that year? Matt, Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey is correct. You are correct. I, I was going to give you a yep. Sean Gilmartin, Bobby Parnell, Stephen Matz, but you didn't even need that. All right. Last two get a little harder, okay? Unless you saw this movie, oh which I'm sure you have. You've seen the movie Bull Durham, right? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, fellow catcher Crash Davis believes, uh, when he's talking to Annie, he believes in a lot of things, right? Do you remember, like, he went on that that <laughs> – soliloquy yep. about oh, yeah. what he believes in all right which one is made up three of them are things that he believes in one is made up okay a is that the novels of susan sontag are self-indulgent overrated crap if i can say that on podcast uh b aliens will one day invade earth c that lee harvey oswald acted alone or d opening your presents christmas morning rather than christmas eve which one is one that he didn't say b uh which, which one B. B is correct. He did not say aliens will one day invade the earth. All right, you have a chance of joining select company of Jason Stark and Ruben Amaro. Uh, Mike Tolan, did he go A for A too? Tolan go? I think Uh, he might have with a little with a little help. All right, the eighth one. This last question is probably the hardest question you're going to have. This, in fact, this might be this might be just an educated guess, or it might come down to pure twenty five percent chance of getting this. Okay. as I, right. men- as I mentioned, because we've talked about it a lot, since you grew up near the famous Ashes Chocolate Factory, what country produces over 33% of the world's supply of chocolate? They produce over 33% of the world's supply of chocolate. Is it A, Ecuador, B, Peru, C, Ivory Coast, or D, Nigeria? You have Ecuador, A, Peru, B, Ivory Coast, C, or Nigeria, D. For all the money in the world, 100% chance of doing this. What do you got? Uh, let's go A, Ecuador. Oh, uh, you want to phone a friend? Go, you can ask Burgoyne. He hasn't seen these, these questions. I haven't seen it. Uh, was, that, was that your choice? I'm going to say B, Peru. You both got it wrong. Yeah, that was my second choice. Really? My second choice was Peru. Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast. Yes, now, now the <sighs> Cocoa no. was first planted. A cocoa tree was first planted in South America. Yeah, yeah. But now Ivory Coast, Ivory Coast and Ghana make up over 60% of uh, the world's cocoa. Listen, Eric, you're a wow. fantastic uh, guest. Don't, you know, one last question isn't going to ruin what you just laid out here for the last 45 minutes. You, uh, you were awesome. And you'll still get Ash's chocolate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I'm glad I missed. I'm glad I missed the last one because if I got an eight for eight, you know, that would have been really con- that would have been conceited if you get all the questions about yourself. A lot to live right? up to. So. A lot of lot to live up to. <laughs> Eric, uh, you know, congratulations on the recent retirement. Uh, we really are fans of yours and your career. And um, 
yeah, you're a manager. You got to write a book. That's what I think. I think you got to write a book. But uh, a lot of things in store for you, Eric, and uh, we really appreciate you having you on. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Awesome, guys. I appreciate you having me on, and I'd, I'd love to do it again. You guys seem like you have a good time doing it. You should do it more than every two weeks. Well, <laughs> I appreciate good. that. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> All right. See you, Eric. No doubt. All right, we got it. Eric Kratz, how about it, John? You know what? It's funny. Again, 27 years in baseball and 33 years for you. You always have your favorite players, mm. um, guys you get to know. And I tell you what, Eric was one of the strongest uh, players we've ever had. I don't know if you remember outside the weight room, um, a lot of the guys would throw the medicine ball up on top of yeah. uh, above the doorway. Yep. And they would have notches up there as far as records. You know, who could throw it up there the highest? And one day I was walking past spring training and sure enough, I see Eric doing it. And I said, wow, man, you, you can really get that high. He had the record. And I think it still stands. If you go by the weight room in spring training, you see a mark, and it's, it. and it's Eric's mark. Strong dude. I mean, he is Big a strong. Dude. And, and when I talked to uh, Franson about him, he's like, first thing he said, that, that is one strong, strong dude right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just cool. He's a Philly guy um, and just always a class act. Like you said, we all have our favorites. He was one of those guys who was just a good guy. You could always approach him. And uh, I remember he, he got traded uh, to Toronto uh, when, he, you know, uh, when he was with us, I guess, 2013, uh, after that 2012 season. And we had a vacation down to Mexico with all our fans. Oh, we should have mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, I forgot to mention it to him. But uh, he had already been traded, and it could have been kind of awkward, but uh, we had already asked him to come to Mexico with us and be with the fans. And he came down with us, and he couldn't have been nicer. I mean, it was a tough time for him, yep. you know, but, uh, uh, you know, just the, the fans loved him and uh, just a great guy. We're always pulling for him. And I, as I said to him, too, I guarantee – Guarantee, if he wants to do it, yeah, uh, and it looks That's like he call. will down the road, yep. he will be a great uh, manager, awesome. great manager. Yeah, no, you got it. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, John, good times. Uh, another uh, show in the books, and uh, I guess you got anything going on today? Uh, <laughs> I, I went on. I had my ninety eighth ride on the Peloton. Ah, uh, oh, there you go. So I've, Two more rides, I've, I hit a milestone. You're doing a Peloton. Yes, and yeah, I've, got we're all, a, I've got a tennis match tonight. We're all heading back indoors this winter. Who knows what's yeah. going to happen. But uh, it's all good. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time on Philly's Backstage. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.